Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Goodby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC this week may be off, but that doesn't mean we don't have great content to give you guys this week. We are bringing back one of our favorite segments of all time, the Combat Countdown. This week, in honor of Leon Edwards, we are going to be breaking down the top five head kicks in UFC history. You're going to want to hear this list, and you'll probably want to tell us we're wrong anyway. In addition to that, we're also going to be giving you guys some interviews with fighters who have got fights coming up in the next little while. Both from Contender Series are Blake Builder and Roybert Echeverria. We're talking to both of those guys about their rise and their opportunity of a lifetime coming up on Tuesdays over the next couple months. So we are going to get to all that great content for you right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Roy Echeverria, who fights Jafal Filo at Dana White's Contender Series Week 9. That fight is on September 20th. So, Roy, I wanted to start here. Obviously, you know, the, the call to be on the Contender Series is a big moment for a lot of people's careers. You, you were kind of tearing it up in Titan, which is one of the bigger regional organizations. Were you surprised you got the call? Where, where, whereabouts did you fall when you, when you did finally get that call? Uh, honestly, uh, I wasn't surprised. Uh, we were expecting that uh, anytime soon, so we we were kind of ready for for that situation. If if it happens, happens. Um, but honestly, that was what we were looking for. Uh, we were we were trying to get into contender or short notice fight in UFC already. But um, the contender series was what, what was uh, what came out. So we took it, of course. Uh, definitely very happy. Uh, so it's now to, now to 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 show up and. Do what we, what we best do, you know? Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, that you were happy about it. And, you know, you you're obviously were kind of expecting it a little bit. But what were the emotions like when you finally did hear those words that you were going to be fighting in front of Dana White in the Apex for a chance at a contract? I say, hell yeah. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> what, I did. that's what I wanted. You know what I mean? I was, I was very happy. Um, like, pretty much all the hard work that we've been putting on uh, is, is, is paying off on... We still have we still have a long road to go. Uh, there's nothing to nothing to celebrate yet, so we're just gonna keep working. Uh, we just one step closer to to our goals, and which is be on a UFC. Then eventually, of course, get the contract, be ranked, all that stuff. But we, like I say, we just one step closer. Uh, so September 20, we will we'll, we'll put another step in. We will be getting the contract, and I mean we we ready. You know what I mean, like. Like I say, uh, we we're working for this, so it's nothing like oh, it's it's coincidentally, you know what I mean? It's just it's just consequence. I love it. Now I noticed that this fight is at flyweight, and and I've seen your fights in Titan, and you bouncing back and forth between flyweight and bantamweight, and and knowing that you you fight at both weight classes. Do you feel like flyweight's the right spot for you? Is is bantamweight just kind of somewhere you go when you can't get the match if you want, or you have to do something a little bit later notice? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like my 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 five weight, it's natural weight 125. I usually walk around 138. So when I when I when I fight, uh, uh bantam weight is just just 
I couldn't get any matchup at 25 because any reason like, oh, sure notice, fighters can make 25 or so. Let's do a 35. Let's do 130. So I always want to try to push to my to my original weight because I know it's kind of like risky fight at 35, which, which is a guy that's coming down for at least 150, 145. And I'm going to be locked in, in in the cage at 137, 138 at most. You know what I mean? But I take the rest. I take the risk. I know what I'm capable of. So I just I just do I just do what I know, what I have to do, you know? Deal with it. Absolutely. And, and you said you, you walk around at like 138. That That is a, a pretty small cut, even a 125. Is your fight week just like a breeze? Is it like the easiest fight week out of anybody ever? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I mean, I, I try. I, I walk around that because I'm, I'm always ready. I'm always training. I'm, I'm, I'm. I eat pretty healthy. Uh, I'm training all day. I'm ready for, for any, any short notify, any, any notice. So I just, want, I just don't want anything get me by surprise. You know what I mean? So I'm always fight ready shape. Uh, so that's why my weight fluctuates between 138 between 140. So anything above that, I don't like to be, to be too much on it. Uh, just because I I just wanted my my weight cut is easy so and and any any if anything when I will when I uh have experience cutting down from 145 150 to 125 I don't get that much that much uh I don't gain that much weight either the fight day just because like I will I will bounce back 138 so it don't matter if I fighting if I cut from 138 or from 150 I'm just gonna get to 138 so I just rather be being be in fight shape all the time you know i dig it i dig it now i wanted to talk about speaking of fight shape i wanted to talk a little bit about your fight camp because you know for people who've watched xfn or people who watch a lot of titan fc the goat shed is like a household name right like that's a that's a name that everybody who watches those events know but for people who watch you know dana white's contender series and ufc and maybe not much else it's not one of those names that sticks out like, you know, American Top Team or, you know, Jackson Winkle John or something like that. For <laughs> now, right? So so tell us a little bit about the Goat Shed. Tell us a little bit about what makes it so special. Well, definitely our energy, or style. Um, we, we, we different. We, we're trying to make things different than any other gym. Uh, we, 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 like, want to break those those, uh, those rule sets or 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 theories that people have about gyms like oh everything is like the same everything is boring the same color same way to talk same uh um like oh what did, what do you do oh I'm, I'm ready for this i'm ready for that or uh, uh like every everyone speak the same everyone does the same so we're trying to break that you know what i mean that's what we want to make us different that's what being given us results and that's what we've been doing what we're doing just two years open as a as a as a team you know what i mean it's it's not like a like i say it's not a surprise it's not a coincidence it's a consequence all that we have all that we have accomplished till so far it's just because we're doing different things than any other gym you know what i mean so it it's it's a, it's a, it's, it's proof that that is working, you know. So we want to keep doing it, and now we have the opportunity to do it on a, on a bigger platform, on a bigger stage, and and soon the world, will, the world will know who the ghost shit is, you know. I love it. And, and do you, do you feel extra pressure knowing that you're like you're the guy, right? Like you're the guy who can put the goat shit on the map with a big win on September 20th. You're the guy who will bring that name to the public for the first time. Is there extra pressure on you from that? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, we 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 used to we used to that pressure. We train under pressure. We used to be main events, co-main events of since we amateurs. 
So of course, is this is different? This this is a different stage, but the pressure will be the same. The pressure, uh, we 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 like work. We love we love work on the pressure. You know what I mean? So it's nothing special. That's what we work for. We we want to be on the biggest cards, on the biggest stage, on the biggest tournament, the biggest fight. So. I, it shouldn't be pressure for that, you know. What I mean, you should want that type of pressure. So that's what that's our mentality. That's what we really want, and we're ready for it. We we we're working for that to back up what we want. You know what I mean? So if I want to be on those, we I have to I have to back it up with with hard work, with getting those in those type of situations, getting uncomfortable, and that when when the date comes and the and the the lights bright, it's time to just show up, you know, and it will be a natural day. I dig it. Now, b- before I get into the actual fight with Jafal Thilo on its own, I do always like to ask fighters. I'm a big uh, big fan of MMA nicknames. I, th- I think uh, MMA nicknames are always interesting and awesome. So do you mind telling me the story of how you got the nickname Unbroken and, and maybe where it comes from? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Unbroken, like, for me, it's a mind, sti- mind status. Uh, it's, it's not just the, the actual word. Like, it's... A fun story is like people will realize that will will uh will uh simulate the unbroken with oh that this guy doesn't break for anything like like he don't he can break a bone or that type of stuff you know what I mean but that's not really what I mean it's just you have to be stronger it's like on 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 a on a mindset you know it don't matter the situation that you are happening that you're going through or or even physically or mentally you have to stay you have to stay unbroken you have to fo- keep focus and i got it because all the situations that that i that i have gone through since uh, i leave my country with my family all the the situation that i have that i have that i passed through on my on my country with fighting the government being being locked up all that stuff all that stuff uh it just it just made me the person who i am you just i just realized how strong i was passing all those situations you know what i mean anything can break my mind and if i anything can break my mind it will be even harder to break my soul my 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 actual body you know what i mean so everything comes together well and and you just you just touched upon a lot of things that I, i'm really interested about and you know i don't have all day to, to you know i don't want to eat up your whole day to ask you about that but can you tell us a little bit about leaving your country because that sounds like an absolutely wild story for you to have you know uh, escaped you know essentially a government that's that's persecuting you you being locked up tell us a little bit about this story of coming to america yeah definitely i mean it is 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 my my the biggest part of my story is that is that i was very involucrated on on the on the protests on the riots on my country just because we were like we were uh uh students that we were fighting for our dreams we were fighting for for a better country for 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 simple things as food as medicines all those type of stuff that in my country wearing wearing uh were a, a big a big uh miss missing of those items so we we decided to go out of the out of the out of the streets and fight against the police the the army and try to try to make our voice be her, you know what I mean, by the word, but especially by the government, man. They just replied to us with with bullets, with violence, and and I unfortunately, but like a lot of my friends passed away through those battles, and and I was lucky to be alive, but at the same time, I got I got I I got locked up for a little bit just because they didn't want me to be on the streets, like causing all all those like be part of that, you know what I mean. Especially I was a, I was an athlete. And 
and I was a, a national recognized recognized athlete, and they I they they feel like I have some type of power, so they they just decide me to to shut me down, and and as soon as I came out, was when me and my family had a meeting and say, all right, we gotta leave, because the next time it will it will be different, you know what I mean? So we we wouldn't we wouldn't want to take the chance. Just because I had dreams, also, you know what I mean, and I decide just take all those, all that, all that energy, all, all that I passed, that I lived through, with me, and and translate it to to my to my actual career, which is fighting right now, and like I say in a couple of interviews before, like I fight not just for me, I fight for my country, I fight for the 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 people that fought besides me, and and they had a dreams once, and they. Unfortunately, they can't fight for them. I, I I will take that responsibility and fight for my dreams. Like they will be fighting for their dreams. You know what I mean? So it's not just me. It's not just a a a a rebel guy that wants to just fight and be tough and anything. He has so much behind that 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 I just I just can't I just can't uh, lack lack of respect for any of them. You know what I mean? I have to I have too many people to make proud that. Besides me, that I'm just gonna keep going. Man, and that, nothing can stop. That that is an absolutely beautiful story. Now, I I do want to ask just one more follow up, and then we will talk about your fight. I promise. But like, so you you decide to leave. You and your family decide to leave. You know, Venezuela and, and come to the United States. What was it like? Did you have a place you were coming to? Were you coming? You know, without any place to stay. What, what did it look like for you? No, I mean we we went, we came with one hand in front, one hand, one hand in the back. You know what I mean? Me and my dad, we were first that, that came. We we didn't know what to expect. We just we just had a dream, and especially me, my dad just just like following me and for my for my better future, my 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 the future of my of my sisters, which uh, one got deported through the whole process. She's right now in Spain. Uh, for circumstances of life, and also I just I had the lucky to to be here and fight actually for my dreams. Now I'm really close to to keep to keep going, and it, it was it was it was very tough the beginning. You know, like uh, we were just uh, immigrants. You know, the situation here with the with the immigrants it's not easy at the beginning. We have to like first be legal, get our papers, to then start working. So it was very very. Very hard at the beginning. We were like just eating up our savings, just trying to make something up and 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 you know and, and pass through that path that that we had to go. And well, here we are right now. My mom is with my dad. They they they're good right now. Like, I mean, emotionally not that much because my sister is not with them, you know. But but we we still fighting through. I'm pretty sure God has a plan and and. We will, we will, we will see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Well, that's great, and the the light at the end of the tunnel may come on September 20th when you can make a big change, like you said, a step towards that dream. Jafal Filo is the guy standing in between you and that dream, and and if you watch his fights, he's a guy who relies pretty heavily on his jujitsu. How, how do you feel like you match up with with Filo? Pretty good, pretty good. Like honestly, I haven't get a fight. Uh, since it was an amateur, like my second or third fight, that I have uh, the opportunity to to grapple with somebody. Uh, but since then, I've been working a lot of my grappling. Uh, I, I that's my that's my background. You know what I mean? Pretty much. Uh, 
like I've been trained jiu-jitsu since I'm eight years old, judo and all this stuff. So my dad is my trainer, my 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 jiu-jitsu, my first jiu-jitsu coach. Right now I'm with with Asim Saidi, which is my my grappling coach, my head coach in the last six years. But um, I start with I start with that with that with those roots too. You know what I mean? So I'm not like surprised or or like or nervous or something. I know what I'm capable. Of. I've been training with with a, with the highest level of of jiu-jitsu and grapplers around the world. I've been trying with Gordon Ryan, with uh, Cyborg, with Ethan Crisland, Nicky Ryan. I, co- I can be the whole day saying saying names here, but not just because of them, it's just because I know what, I'm, what I've been getting from them, you know, how, how I've been evolving through this all, the, all these years, you know. So he's actually, the, uh, like I see, a good guy with that, who's releasing jiu-jitsu for his, for his fight, but there's two, there's, there's, uh, there's two things. There's two different sports: MMA and jiu-jitsu. So if you have jiu-jitsu for MMA is one thing. If you have just jiu-jitsu, it's a different thing. So we will find out how 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 that how they split out this play out. But trust me that I'm ready for for any situation. If if he goes to the ground, I'm I'll be on my home too. If he's striking, that's my home too. So it don't it don't matter. So give us a prediction on how that one does end on September 20th. How do you see this fight ending? I actually I, I see a, I see a finish. Uh, I won't, I won't say first round, second round, third round, but I see that fight is not gonna go three rounds. I'm 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 going there to impress the 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 my business partner, which is gonna be Dana White soon. So I feel like like I'm going I'm gonna go and do what I have to do and is finish this guy, take him out, and that's it. On to the next, you know. Absolutely, and you've heard it here first, folks. This has been Roy Bert Echeverria, who fights Jafal Filo at Dana White Contender Series Week Nine on September 20th. Roy. Thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. To you, my brother. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Roybert Echeverria. I want to get him Daniel Gumby Friendly and join now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. Obviously, the whole point of this weekend and everything that everybody is talking about is the big UFC 276 knockout from Leon Edwards on Kamara Usman. The pound for pound number one goes down. My question for you is, have you seen the odds for the trilogy before it even happens? Ooh, I haven't seen the odds, and I would like to play a little guessy-guessy game. Uh, Can you remind me, Gumby, do you have it off the top of your head, what were the odds going into this past weekend? Was he a 4-to-1 dog or a 3-to-1 dog? I have it right here. Hang on one moment. We'll put the intern on. The end line, uh, depending on the sportsbook you're looking at, was roughly... Negative 315 Kamara Usman plus 260 Leon Edwards. So right around three to one, two and a half, three to one. And can you please remind me again? Usman was a plus uh, minus 315. You said minus 315. Okay, I'm just gonna go on a guess here. I'm gonna say Usman is a minus two. Usman is a minus 350. No, I'm going the other way. Sorry. Usman is a minus 275 and Leon Edwards a plus 300 flat. So you you actually had it right with your first guess. Kamar Usman is opened as a bigger favorite than he closed on in their second fight. He's now a negative 350 favorite with Leon Edwards at 285. So... I I guess now the follow-up question is, because I I assume the same thing as you. I assume that the odd lines would get a little bit closer 
than they originally were, right? Like, I, I figured we would see less and less space between the two of them. I actually thought it would be low 200s for Kamara Usman. You don't you don't fade the guy who just won that much, but I did think Usman would still be a favorite. So my question for you is, is that warranted? I know he was up 3-1, to one, maybe 4-1, to one, but, like, is it warranted to have the guy who just got head kicked into oblivion as a three and a half to one favorite? It, no, it isn't. And I'll tell you why. Um, and it was such an interesting fight in that, yes, Usman was clearly winning about a minute away from winning on the judges scorecard. But, you know, Leon Edwards, what impressed me so much about him was when a takedown was there, he was able to score it. We also saw that Kamar Usman clearly has not worked around off his back, probably in training and never in a fight for, in years, possibly ever. So he looked like completely out of his element when he was on his back and mounted. And Leon Edwards had an advantage in those. And now it's easier said than done to get to those advantageous jiu-jitsu positions on Kamaru fucking Usman. But Leon Edwards did have an advantage there when it just came to stuff like back control or riding him in mount. And then obviously he is the quicker striker. He had a little trouble pulling the trigger, but then when push came to shove and he had to, we saw what could happen. So I'm with you. I mean, am I picking Usman in the rematch? Yes. It reminds me a lot of an Amanda Nunes, uh, Juliana Pena situation, but I'm more impressed with what I saw from Leon Edwards than I was what I saw from Amanda Nunes or from Juliana Pena in that first match, if I can make that comparison. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Because Juliana Pena looked like she beat the the worst version of Amanda Nunes we've ever seen. And didn't necessarily do so all that convincingly, right? Because the first round didn't look great for Pena either. Uh, so, you know, she beat a very bad, weirdly energy-zapped Amanda Nunes. Leon Edwards, let's, let's get one thing straight. He beat the best Kamaru Usman out there, right? Like, that, that was the best version of Kamaru Usman. He anything that didn't look good from Kamara Usman was because of how good Leon Edwards was. And to your point, the reason I thought the odds would get way closer for the trilogy fight, which inevitably has to happen next. I, I feel like we haven't even talked about that yet, but like it has to happen next. What what we didn't get out of that is that that Leon Edwards is going to feel more comfortable opening up. Right? Like he he took some of, you know, Kamara Usman's best strikes. He took what Usman had to offer, and now he knows he can put him out. Like, why wouldn't you feel more comfortable throwing more frequently? Uh, so, yeah, like, I, I think we're going to see a more aggressive Leon Edwards, a Leon Edwards that it wouldn't shock me if he took two in a row. But you're, to your point, you know, spoiler alert, I'm going with Kamara Usman in the trilogy. I, I just think he does a little bit more of what he did rounds two through four um, and plays it a little safer later on. Well, I'll tell you what's not going to be playing. We're who's not going to be playing it safe, and that's us, because we're getting to one of our favorite segments on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment on the show, with no fight card to break down this week. We normally do our fights, dogs, parlays, but this week we're going to take it back old school. We're going to do a combat countdown, top five UFC head kicks of all time, and there have been a plethora to choose from. And of course, we're going off of what we saw this past weekend with Leon Edwards. Spoiler alert, he's going to be somewhere in the top five. It is what it is. But Gumby, before we start breaking down this combat countdown, I'm wondering, does anyone sponsor this combat countdown? 
Absolutely, the Combat Countdown is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general. For one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper who gives full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For the same great price, you also get access to their brand new Bayes AI prediction software, which uses advanced algorithms to give you percentage-based outcomes for every single fight in the UFC. And with packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy one, there's no reason not to check out MMAplay365.com. And when you do, make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package. That's MMA Play 365. All right, so it's important to note the way we broke down this combat countdown is that we wanted to talk about, and we're breaking down the best UFC head kicks of all time, and there have been so many great ones to choose from, both stylistically, technically, but we gave a lot of uh, importance, merit to head kicks that came in big moments, title fights. Uh, meaningful head kicks, if you will. Meaningful head kicks. Sounds like a bad garage band from the 1980s. Uh, but let's talk right now about three very technically pretty, if you will, and cool-looking head kicks that maybe didn't come in the biggest of moments. We'll talk about them quickly. Honorable mention number one, we just saw it. It was Michael Chandler front-kicking Tony Ferguson into the underworld, and that was just a couple of months ago back in May, UFC 274. Then there was the very pretty uh, spin kick from Edson Barbosa on Terry Etum. Terry Etum, I don't, did he actually fight again in the UFC after that, or is that his last UFC fight? I'm going to get the intern on that. Do you know off the top of your head, Gumby? I don't know off the top of my head, but I will also bug the intern for it. <laughs> yeah, because I want to say that just... He actually fought one killed. more time. He fought one more time okay. in the UFC. Yeah, and and to be fair too, he had a pretty crazy good UFC record. He fought for a long time, uh, and was on. He had won four out of five or five out of six uh, going into that Barboza fight with only a loss to Rafael dos Anjos in there. So, uh, and then I, then two straight losses and off to Bellator he went. <laughs> and yeah, and I also know a couple of years ago there was some not so pleasant news about him having a very tough time of things in his life. We hope he's figured that out and doing better. Uh, but that all being said, I have to imagine the the head kick probably didn't help matters for mental well being. That being said, very pretty head kick, part of the game. It is what it is. And then the last one is of course Joaquin Buckley on Impa Kensikagane at UFC Fight Island Five. This was like the most viral video of all viral videos, other than Ben Askren getting kneed into oblivion. But the Joaquin Buckley kick, what made it so cool is that Impa actually caught his foot and then Buckley was like, Okay, cool beans, bro, and pushed off Impa's own hand to kick him with the other leg, spin kick to the head, and then Impa does like the mortal combat finish him jig amazing amazing head kick but those are our three honorable mentions Chandler on Tony Ferguson Edson Barbosa on Terry Edom and Joaquin Buckley on Impa yeah so and like you said at the top like all of these are great but at the same time this didn't really change any division I mean the closest one is is Michael Chandler beating Tony Ferguson but this is a guy taking a step back beating the guy he should have beat and, and like apart from that, like neither none of these guys are running into a title shot following these wins, and none of these were for a title. And you'll find that pretty much all the ones on our list, with one small exception in there, major title shot implications in them. Uh, so yeah, we we gave a little bit more the credence to the the fights that were bigger, uh, but while also being very pretty knockouts as well. And if you could get both, that's why you'll see some way at the top. 
Well, let's get to one that has been replayed a million times and changed the course of uh, this, both fighters' careers, really. Uh, we're, of course, talking about Holly Holm head-kicking the once thought-to-be unbeatable Ronda Rousey back at UC-193. That was down in Australia. Holm was beating her up on the feet to begin with. The head-kick was really the cherry on the top. Um you know, home uh, was unable to ever defend the title that she won, but it's a moment etched in time, changed Ronda Rousey's career. She took a year off, came back, head movement, head movement, lost to the GOAT Amanda Nunes a year later, but this was basically the beginning of the end for Ronda Rousey. And while it would have been nice if home maybe, you know, used it as like a career kickoff and a dominant title run, it was not to be, but it certainly showed that Ronda much like um, Hoist Gracie in the early days of the UFC, sort of like a Babe Ruth effect. I think Ronda was dominant early as the division was still being fleshed out. The UFC was getting its scouting ducks in a row. And one thing that Ronda was always able to avoid was really technical striking exchanges because she was taking people down, arm barring them in 14 seconds, uh, judo throwing them in 15 seconds and finishing fights. Holly showed that Ronda was not a complete fighter, so it's only natural that this lands in our top five at at number five. Yeah, and I think that's the big piece, right, is the shock factor of the fact that, hey, maybe she was not the most complete fighter, um, because while she beat strikers like Kat Zingano or Betch Cohea or, or people like that, and while she beat grapplers like Liz Carmouche and Misha Tate, the one thing she never really had to do was to defend herself on the feet for an extended period of time. So, uh, you know, we got to see her have to do that. It completely changed the way that we thought about, I mean, like literally anything. Like if you were following MMA at the time, this was as mind blowing as it could possibly get. And not for anything, it's an incredible looking knockout too. Like it is just one of those knockouts where like you could almost see it kind of coming that she was going to go out. But then for her to go out with, like, a thunderous head kick, it, I mean, it's just that much more impressive for Holly Holm to win the Women's Bantamweight Championship, to be only the second Women's Bantamweight Champion in UFC history ever uh, in that way. Yeah, there's something about that Holly Holm kick. It's like her uh, her shins are like baseball bats, and you could just see that thing coming, and it just destroyed the back of Ronda's neck and temple and it's like you think of the typical dude bro in a tap out shirt staring at a bar and saying like ah, i could beat these girls okay bro let holly home kick you in the back of the head let's see how that goes um it was really really impressive all right let's get to number four because it's just going to keep getting more impressive from here we just saw it this past weekend we already broke it down a little bit but leon edwards with the head kick on kamara usman at uc 278 a left to go in the fight he was gonna lose uh, and I think there's something very poetic about the fight before this. And we had talked last week on the show, Gumby. This was not the most impressive run of fights for Leon Edwards to earn the title shot. The last we saw of him in the octagon, he was fading and fading bad against Nate Diaz for minutes 23 to 25 of their fight uh, when he had dominated for the first 23 minutes. But in this particular encounter, not against Nate Diaz, but against Kamara Usman, the dominant champion, he saved his best for last. And it really just goes to show you there are some strikers in the UFC right now when they get their takedown defense game working, and I'm thinking about, like, the Alex Pereiras of the world. Well, Leon Edwards, we've obviously seen this with Izzy Adesanya. 
Um, and, you know, I think it's something that Connor had a bit of a tough time with against certain people. But, and he was more of a just power puncher. That's a different story. What I'm really talking about, though, is guys who have the strong kick game. And if Leon Edwards can stop takedowns against guys like Kamara Usman, he's going to be in every fight he's in because of that weapon. Yeah, and, and, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head on a whole bunch of things. It was not necessarily uh, that it was a comeback, not necessarily that it was at the end of the fight, not necessarily you know that he's dangerous at all times and it changed the way we think about things and it gave us a new welterweight champion when nobody thought it could but it was all of those things right like it was all of them jammed together in like the most incredible way i mean just like such a big moment for i mean for the division a, a division we had largely written off is like kind of getting stale um you know she he had every single fight kamara usman was fighting was a rematch for the most part um you know with the exception of gilbert burns so it, it's interesting it makes things more interesting moving forward and of course i I mean like the walk-off factor of it all for me is what takes it from being just a monumental one to also being a spectacular and monumental one so our next one number three it's leota machita on randy couture at ufc 129 this is up in canada so we've gone very international on this list a lot of good international head kicks here uh, Leota Machida, what makes this so amazing, not only was it Randy Couture's send-off in last fight in the UFC, but it was the freaking crane kick from the Karate Kid. I, this moment is just crazy to watch in retrospect. Yeah, it was crazy to watch, um, to see him throw that, that front kick, you know, like, I can remember where I was sitting when I saw it happen, um, and to just see Randy go out that way. And for, for everybody saying, like, oh, you know, Randy was over the hill, this wasn't a big fight for Machida. A lot of people forget that this earned Machida a title fight with John Jones. Now, he, of course, goes on to get choked unconscious and left on the side of the cage. Uh, but, you know, with that, that being said, being able to cash a title fight by knocking out a legend with a spectacular crane kick and getting the chance to throw it up to Sensei Steven Seagal afterwards, come on, what's better than that? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what's better than that. And I, of course, <laughs> am saying this facetiously because our next highlight real kick or uh, top five uh, kick number coming in at number two. This was crazy uh, in a number of different ways. It, you have to go all the way back to UFC uh, 70, which took place in, was it 2008 or two? Oh, it was 2007, right? I'm having the intern look it up. Yep, it was 2007. So let's go back in time to 2007. It was early in the Zufa years. They'd only owned uh, the promotion, had the Fertitas, and had Dana White running it for about four years at this point. Um, And, you know, typically if a grappler came in and fought a striker, it kind of went the way you would think. Like one guy, the, the grappler would do his grappling and the striker would do his striking. Mirko Krokop had developed a reputation as a nasty knockout artist, specifically with uh, head kicks. In fact, as the quote goes, uh, right leg hospital, left leg cemetery, meaning if he hit you with the right leg, you're going to the hospital. If he hit you with the left leg, you're going to the cemetery. You can look up some of his highlight reel KOs and pride, knocking people dead. And in comes Gabriel Gonzaga, who's primarily known as a grappler. And what did Gonzaga do? Oh, nothing. Just head kicked Mirko Krokop into oblivion, earned himself a title shot, was unable to ever go on to anything higher in his career. But if there's one thing we'll always love Gabriel Gonzaga for, it was beating Mirko Krokop at UFC 70. And I say that as a Krokop fan, but it was so shocking to see him fall 
at what he was best at, right? Yeah, and that's what puts this higher, right, is the fact that not only did Gonzaga win, but Gonzaga won at Mirko's game. And the cool part about it, too, is the fact that Gabriel Gonzaga had the takedown earlier in that fight. I think people forget about it. He had gotten to the spot where everybody was like, oh, this is where Gonzaga takes over, and he got stood up. It, it, it wound up back on the feet, and then they were like, oh, yeah, now he's lost it. Now now he doesn't have it, and that's exactly when he got it. So this this fight not only just, like, blew your mind in the same way that, like, Holly Holm blew our mind with, with Ronda Rousey, but it blew it, it, it as if Holly Holm had armbarred Ronda Rousey, right? And in addition to that, earns him a title shot against Randy Couture. Again, he's not successful in winning the belt, but, uh, you know, just a spectacular-looking knockout, too. The other, the other really cool thing is... If you ever rewatch this knockout, and if you're a new fan and haven't seen this knockout, go watch it. The really cool thing about it, he kicks Krokop so hard, Krokop spins around and breaks his own ankle. He rotates on his own ankle so hard that it breaks it, and he doesn't even get kicked there. So, I mean, yeah, spectacular to look at, mind-blowing, title shot. Yeah, Gonzaga had it all there. All right, and now it is time for number one, and we highly encourage you to uh, go back and check all of these out if you've never seen them. If you're a newer fan, uh, go back and watch these. But this one at UFC 126 was one for the ages. It was Anderson Silva with the front kick on Vitor Belfort. And really, I could make a case. Now, Anderson Silva was in his prime at this point. It's the year 2011. He had defended his title a bunch of times. But after this front kick, which was enormously impressive, he TKO'd Yushin Okami, Chael Sonnen, Stefan Bonner. All very impressive. Not going to take anything away from those wins. But the Sonnen fight, this was not the first one where he came back with, you know, two minutes left and got the triangle. More or less assumed he was going to wash Sonnen in the rematch. Think of it like an Usman and Leon Edwards situation. Yushin Okami not at his level. Stefan Bonner not at his level. And then he lost to Weidman and ended up losing his final six out of seven UFC fights. Really bad end to his career. This, I would say, the front kick on Vitor Belfort was peak Anderson Silva, and it's awesome to see. Uh, it was just an incredible moment at UFC 126. Yeah, and, and it, it, he was knocking out a Vitor Belfort, who everybody had largely seen as, like, back in dangerous, um, which it, it's that's its own thing, right? Like, this was the guy who was supposed to give him trouble on the feet, and not only did he knock him out, he knocked him out in, like, the most violent way possible. Like, it just just terrible head kick to the face. Um, but also, I will say this. You know, you mentioned not much happening after this win for him, right? Like, not too many big wins for him after this. He had actually given us a couple of duds prior to this, too. You know, the, the first Shale Sonnen fight came right before this, where... You know, for the first time, he looked human, which was scary. And before that was the Damian Maya fight, which was just an absolute dud in Abu Dhabi. So bad that, like, they, they talked about not going back to Abu Dhabi for a while, which, you know, we obviously all saw where that wound up. But, like, he, he put together two kind of rough performances, follows it up by reminding us that he's the greatest middleweight that's ever lived in doing so by knocking out a knockout threat with maybe one of the craziest kicks we've ever seen. Boom. Well, that wraps up this combat countdown. We want to know how we did. Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we got wrong. At Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. Gumby, this show is a moving along. Where should we go next? 
Well, we're going to transition now to another interview with a Dana White Contender Series contestant. Coming up in week six, you're going to see Blake Builder. He's fighting on August 30th, and we're going to talk to him just before that fight to find out how he's feeling heading into it. But before we do, of course, we have to mention that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Blake Builder. All right, and joining me today is Blake Builder, who fights Alex Morgan on week six of Dana White's Contender Series. That fight is on August 30th. So, Blake, you know, you're the CFFC champ. You got to defend the belt once. That, that's usually a pretty good indication of the, the Contender Series or something like it coming calling. Did you assume this was, was kind of the path that you were about to embark on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, CFFC is a well-known... Uh, well-known organization. They've been around for a long time. Uh, so I knew that when I, when I won it and then once I successfully defended it, uh, we, we pretty much basically set our, set our mind on, okay, we're going to, we're going to either be getting a short notice fight for the UFC or we're going to be ended up on Dan White's contender series to earn our spot in the UFC. And, and so then I assume when the call comes, you're, you're still excited because it's that moment where, you know, you've been waiting for it for your whole career. But, but you know, maybe maybe not so shocked. But what was your reaction like? Um, honestly, uh, I didn't get too excited because in my mind, like, I already, I already wrote it down. Like, literally, I wrote it down. And then an hour, I wrote my 60-day goals down. And then an hour later, I got the call. So I was like, I was like, yeah, like asking you shall receive you know well where, where was it listed on the the 60-day goals is that goal number one beyond contender series uh yeah it was like it was like uh yeah one of the one of the first things that i wrote down um and then it and then uh i got the fight within five days of my 60-day goals ending so <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, it was like i manifested that i just wrote it into uh you know it was like uh it was like moses getting the ten commandments you know it was like written in stone I love it. I love it. Now, you know, we're, we're talking about most recently not being terribly surprised that you're getting here, but th- this is kind of a long journey for you. I mean, I was looking at your record. You took your first AMI fight when you're like, what, 21, 22 years old. It, it took you like six years to turn pro, though. W- was this always kind of the goal that you always wanted to be a pro fighter? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my, my coach in Minnesota, uh kept wanting me to do like uh more amateur fights and I, I just felt like if I kept doing amateur fights that I would I would just stay amateur and then I also noticed that like a lot of the guys on the regional scene over in Minnesota um they did well but then when they got to like the the the, the nationwide worldwide rankings uh they started falling off pretty quick so um I had talked to my manager uh, Jason House and uh, he got me a spot in Irvine over at a fighter house at Timoyama and uh, that's where my pro career started. So, so you had had no no pro experience once you moved to Timoyama and that that's really where you got your feet wet. Correct. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and out of curiosity, because I know a lot of fighters have left some of those smaller markets and decided to go for, you know, the bigger gyms, the syndicates, the ATTs and stuff like that. What what led you to Timo Yama? What, what made you really like that gym in particular? 
Um, honestly, like I was just looking for a spot in California. I wanted to get out of Minnesota. I just felt like I was, uh, I was, uh, I was kind of being like held back and like, you know, there just wasn't enough guys that were where I wanted to be. And so I just wanted to be surrounded by the fire. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't even really know anything about Timo Yama um, but we had a we had a really good stable, you know. We had Carla Esparza, Ashley Evan Smith, Ch- Marlon Chito Vera, who you know, congrats on his uh, win on Saturday. He looked amazing. Uh, Alex Perez, uh, Fernando Padilla, you know, like we had we had some we have really really good guys, you know. So I was in a in a big stable of absolute killers, and uh, and yeah, it was great, you know. It, uh, but you know, I just, um, uh, you know, I just didn't, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a great place to start when I was out here. I'm, I'm, I'm forever thankful and grateful for the opportunity. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Now I'm curious too, of all of the things that changed when you went from being, you know, like a, a small time amateur who's, you know, beating the, the tar out of people, but beating the tar out of people in the local scene in, in Minnesota, to, to one who's training with, you know, like you said, all of those killers, the Carlos Parsas and the Alex Perez's of the world. What, what did you find was the biggest change to your game in that small amount of time? Um, honestly, a lot of like the wrestling and like, uh, and like really like blending everything together. It's like, cause you have, you could have really good boxing, but like, can you mix your boxing in with your wrestling? And then can you mix your boxing into your wrestling to your jujitsu? You know, and then, uh, and, and then threaten your wrestling to be able to strike more, you know, like, like using certain aspects of all the martial arts to be able to, uh, focus on your strength. Yeah. And, and I think we've seen that a lot in your recent fights too, you know, the, the wrestling blending in to the striking and opening up your striking, especially in that Carvalho fight, right? Like that, that was one where you're wrestling and, and getting your wrestling going made him, you know, sort of sleep on your hands and you were able to put him away there. I'm curious though, with with it being Dana White's contender series that you're about to fight on next, and there's all that talk about being exciting and needing to put on a show. Do you worry about the fact that like maybe one of your best assets is that wrestling aspect? Is that fact that you're like a cardio machine who can wear people out, which is you know to to some people's point maybe not the most exciting part of the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm looking to win the fight. You know, and, and, uh, you know, if I can win in a devastating fashion, you know, great, I'm going to, but like my focus is winning, you know, and, and of course we all want to win. We all want to put on a show. We all want to have a a devastating finish to, to, to showcase our skills and whatnot. Um, but if I have to, if I, no matter what I have to do, I like my, my focus is winning. I like that. I like that a lot. So let, let's talk a little bit about your opponent, too, because you got Alex Morgan here, a guy from Canada who, who really likes to get in the pocket and let it fly, right? Like in, in the highlights I've seen of him, the dude just lets him go almost with reckless abandon. Is that the type of opponent you like to fight? Because I know some people love that kind of stuff when, when they got a guy in front of them who's just going to let them all let it all hang out. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind it at all. I mean, you know, sometimes like sometimes you can work that uh work work uh what might seem like an advantage to a disadvantage to him you know and uh and you know it's basically just adapting and adopting you know it's like uh 
you know, I just got to put him in bad situations and, and, and mix it up and, and, and get him, uh, and get him off of what he normally likes to do and get him out of his comfort zone. Absolutely. Now, before I let any fighter go, I usually like to get a prediction out of him. Now, especially on Contender Series, because that one ends, you know, with the big name on the dotted line. So how do you see this one ending with Alex Morgan come August 30th? Yeah, before it ever happened, I said that it was going to be a finish. I said it was going to be a finish. Uh, you know, so you can expect a finish. I, I Like my last three fights, I always come to finish. I always come to, to, to bring the heat. And uh, look, you know, there's people booing me in the middle of the in the middle of the round in the second round but guess what i was i was i was wearing i was wearing reggie down i was i was backpacking him and in the third round that's when we pushed the pace shifted it into sixth gear and got the finish and then everybody was applauding and clapping so you know whatever i have to do you know i'm 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 willing to uh to uh use it in my favor and be and be smart and uh, and I see it being a finish. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Blake Builder, who fights Alex Morgan on week six of Dana White's Contender Series. That fight, once again, August 30th. Blake, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you too, Dan. Thank you so much, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and MMA Play 365. And as a reminder, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.